it's time for another edition of Tennis.com's weekly podcast. And here's your host, James Martin. All right, so welcome to the latest edition of the Tennis.com podcast. It's the reader edition or the listener edition, I guess I should say. Uh, this is James Martin with Steve Tigner and Peter Bodo. And as we said uh, when we were recapping Aussie Open earlier this week, we are going to be answering some letters that we got from you guys. We want to thank you for sending in all your emails. We've gotten a ton and some really good ones. Uh, we can start out by one that uh, Pete is familiar with. We recognize the name Master Ace. Pete, I think this is one of your uh, posters and contributors to your blog, correct? Oh, yeah. He's a regular reader. He, he, he knows his stuff. He puts you over the millionth mark, if I'm not correct, right? He is the man who put us over the one million uh, uh, comment post, one million posted comment mark. We still have to acknowledge that officially. We will. What was his? Uh, what was his award? Well, we're still figuring out what the award's <laughs> supposed to be. We're trying to de- decide between a match with Roger Federer at Wimbledon or mm-hmm, one right. against Serena Williams. Uh, Master Ace, you better keep pestering Pete because I don't think this award's coming. Uh, so anyway, here, here's his question, which is tying into what's going on this weekend with the Fed Cup. For all you psyched up to uh, watch the Fed Cup, I will admit I am not one of them. Uh, as we know, Serena and Venus both said that they could not play Fed Cup due to the owners meeting at Miami where the Super Bowl is being played. Now, if the Super Bowl was played while the Australian Open was still being played, I wonder what the majority of owners of Miami would say about them missing the meeting. So basically what, what your, uh, your friend here is saying is that is this a valid excuse or a no excuse for, for the Williams sisters not to play Fed Cup, Pete? Well, I think we know, I think we know what uh, Master Race is driving at there. I, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 it's really a lame excuse. I mean, it's a little bit like saying, well, you know, you had to pass up. You know, uh, you know I think the point he's making is they wouldn't have passed up a Grand Slam. It's got less to do with how Miami would feel about it. And that's just kind of a pity because I think Fed Cup, I, look, I mean, it, it's got its problems. A lot of people in the United States especially don't care. But once again, don't forget that a lot of people around the world really care about this stuff. You know, you look at those f- uh, facts and figures when they come in on attendance and stuff. You look at a country like Italy, which is actually economically a pretty strong country. It's got a good tennis tradition. They just lap up the Fed Cup stuff like crazy. So once again, I think we're marching a little out of step here. I like Fed Cup a lot. I'm not nuts about that format. But, you know, uh, I think it's a legitimate good event. I wish the girls would play. I mean... Again, I, I'll, I'll throw this over to Steve because I, I can understand why the Williams sisters don't want to play Fed Cup. Uh, yeah, you I can don't blame them for it. it. It's, it's a part of the format. I mean, they just get out of the Australian Open and then they're they're playing again in something that's that's much less prestigious. Um, I, I really don't blame them for not playing every Fed Cup tie with at this point in their career. Um, I guess the only thing is that it's absurd that they need to come up with an excuse that an excuse that they could have. They should be able to just say, we don't want to play it, um, but they need to come up with this, this owner excuse, which is it's pointed out rightly. They wouldn't, have, they, they wouldn't have felt the need to skip the Australian Open to go to an to a NFL owner's meeting. They're, they're, they have a minority stake in the, in the Dolphins. So, um, yeah, it's like they own two seats in the stadium. <laughs> well, they don't know. even need to come up with an excuse, though, because it's not like a mandatory tournament where you have to pretend to be sick, the dog ate your homework kind of thing. This is just Fed Cup. You you're asked to play, and you say, "Yeah, I'd like to play," or "No, I don't." And it's it's silly that whether they feel the pressure that they have to make an excuse, or well, there's, there's or they just do there, it. There's one thing there that I think really needs pointing out, and it, and it kind of, it is kind of irritating. Uh, you know, the Williams sisters really talk a very good game about Fed Cup, and I really talk about Serena mostly here. You know, she's always saying, "Oh, I'll do anything. I'll jump in front of a bulldozer. You can't drag me away." Yet, you know, cons- consistently she doesn't step up. She said that she said all the right things at the end of last year, and then when it came to that final against Italy, where we got 
where we got creamed basically with the Serena Les team. You know, she pulls out, you know, uh, after winning Doha. She pulls out before she won Doha, saying she was too tired. So, look, I mean, I don't know. It, you know, you're looking at two matches, usually against, for someone like Serena, certainly beatable opponents. If you don't want to play, don't play. But don't go around saying, oh, you know, I'll die for the flag. And then as soon as you're called, well, you got an owner's meeting in Miami. Now that, that's true, but I can also see where, where somebody like the Italians, they would be more excited. Flavia Panetta has no chance of winning or very little chance of ever winning the Australian Open. Among so, many tournaments. <laughs> so for her, the Fed Cup is a, is, you know, is a huge deal, and you can understand why it's, it wouldn't be as huge a deal for Serena, who can, who, who can win these, these bigger events. I, I would take the opposite tack. From what, I, I agree with you, Pete, that, yeah, Serena shouldn't be going around saying, waving the flag and, and acting like she's going to be there to play, and then she doesn't show up. I, I think that's, that's spot on, but I think this ties in with something we will be certainly talking about as the Davis Cup first round comes up in March, but is Fed Cup relevant for the top players? And, I, and I'll be interested, you know, the, the whole movement of, of maybe doing something alternative to Davis Cup, I know we see differently on that, but also what will the, will this, will the women start to, you know, take, take that theory and say, well, maybe we revamp the Fed Cup as well, or maybe we combine the Fed Cup and Davis Cup to create this Grand Slam of Nations instead. And it'll be interesting to see as this idea for this new idea of a, a World Cup-style Davis Cup gathers momentum, and, and it seems like it's gotten a little bit, um, if the women and particularly the top-ranked women, come along for that and say, hey, this is a good idea. We want to do this instead because, I mean, yeah, maybe Fed Cup is going to put some, some people in the seats in, in Italy, but honestly, I mean, is it, is it a relevant competition for the tennis community this weekend? Hey, I got it's news. not. It's I got, not. I got news for you. Fed Cup used to run one, one place, one venue. All the teams get together. It's supposed to be a big deal. They actually went to the Davis Cup format because of the Davis Cup format success. Yeah, but that was long, so long ago. And if you look well, at it was the way, nineteen nineties. Yeah, and if you but if you look at the way you can market it now with the men, if you wanted to bring the women on, they're not play, The top players aren't playing these competitions. I mean, Netsov is playing, Yankovic is playing, Ivanovic is playing. Who's not playing? Serena and Venus. Serena and Venus. I mean, Maria's not going to play. I mean, she's hurt, I guess, or whatever. But I mean, and who's going to? I mean, look. I, I would like to see what the ratings are going to be after this weekend. I think it's going to be atrocious because unless you're. Are you? I mean, are you going to watch? Are you going to sit there and watch Fed Cup over the I guess weekend? It's sort of a no. chicken, chicken and egg thing, though. If they, if the Williams sisters did play, it would be more prestigious if they played right every round. And don't you have to somehow create a format? And maybe this is a chicken egg, and maybe you can get screwed anyway by trying it. You don't want to cut out the two players, but to find out, you know, like with the men, what will get Roger Federer to play something that's a team competition that's prestigious? He goes to the Olympics every four years because it's every four years. What do we need to do to get these guys involved to make it more important? Yeah, but most of them are involved. I mean, who, who's not involved? Federer's not involved. So we, Roddick's we, we, not we, involved. Murray's not involved. Roddick's involved. He's taken his one. He's he's taken his one year off after a, a great, distinguished uh, tradition of of service. I mean, literally, everybody plays. Nadal plays. Djokovic plays. Djokovic is mad because the U.S. has taken team, uh, you know, a B team to Serbia. I mean, I don't I don't think you should redesign a Davis Cup because Roger Federer doesn't play. Well, even yeah. somebody like Rafa doesn't play every every round. I think when well, that's all right. When Roger doesn't play the first round, he's he's thinking to win it. He's going to have to play four rounds and that's that's not something he's wanted to do i guess you can understand somebody like sampras or agassi they could play they could play two rounds and still win the davis cup right that's yeah. all played a lot though basically and it's okay for some of these top guys to miss it once in a while but you know it's like it isn't like nobody plays davis cup or fed cup that's kind of a, a myth a couple people don't play it one or two big stars all the time connor set that trend in the united states but then you had mcenroe played every Macro begged to play every possible tie he could. Singles, doubles, captain, whatever. So Right, and it did nothing for the popularity here, of course. I mean, and I think that's goes to the point that you that the event 
It's the event that has to work. It's the event that has to capture the imagination even more so than the player involvement. Why are the Grand Slams so successful? Are they successful because Serena and Venus show up? No, they're successful because they're, they're the Grand Slams and they've done such a good job of marketing themselves and promoting themselves at times at the expense of the other tournaments. And I think that's something that needs to be looked at for Fed Cup and Davis Cup is how, does the, how do you increase the prestige? Because the ITF will come out and throw these things while it makes money for federations and it does things. Well, everything can make some money, but what can make it relevant and more prestigious and more important where you know, people are really excited about it? Hey, every, every Davis Cup match I, I've seen in recent memories had full house, packed to capacity, so sellouts. I don't know what's I wrong haven't. with that. I've seen them, some that are they're half, including some in Europe. The I Davis mean, Cup is good, but you feel like a team event in tennis could have a higher profile if it was once a year in one place, if it fit in with the schedule more. I mean, not, not to say that the Davis Cup isn't, is, doesn't pack houses, small, you know, small stadiums, but you feel like a, a team tennis event with all the top players there could have a bigger TV presence, a, a bigger media presence. Yeah, it's certainly a good, a good discussion. <laughs> we can talk about some more as we, as we come up to the first round tie and continue this argument, which I think is going to fester for the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's good. Um, well, here's another question that we uh, got, and I'll condense it. Uh, it's from this guy, Abraham. And he wants to talk about the commentary. He's, he first wants to, I should preface this, by expressing his deepest appreciation um, for our podcast. And, and, and I wanted to say uh, right here that what do you guys think about the commentary of tennis matches by ESPN commentators such as Chris, Dick, Brad, etc. Is it getting a little out of control in the sense that, in the sense that there seems to be no break at all to the discussion? Uh, not to mention the fact that a lot of the discussion doesn't seem to necessarily pertain to what is going on on the court. Well, it depends on who's there. I'd like to. I always like to hear a little less talk. Um, you don't. They don't. You don't need a tennis match to be filled with filled with um, commentary before and after every point and filling in every second you could you could do with less but it also depends on who's talking i i personally like gilbert and cahill patrick McEnroe. i could i could do with less of dick enberg but even though he's he's a professional but i, I guess overall i could i could see a little less um a little less talking but i think i think to be fair they they do as, as a, a fine job as good a job as as we can expect i, I think i think that's pretty fair as well i I would say to, to Abraham and anyone that does get tired of, of the, the constant chatter that if you do get something like ESPN 360 or, or I guess that would be the only one that would go with an ESPN telecast, not tennis TV, you know, that's a great alternative because if you, you do get tired of listening to all the, all, the, all the talk, you can go to ESPN 360, you can pick whatever match you want to watch and it might have some commentary. Often it doesn't, which is a nice, a nice break. My only complaint is that for these matches after a set ends they have to send it back to the desk to analyze a set after we've just heard the analysis going through the first set you and like then when that? they get kind of like that you get well, another person's take you well, do but then when you get back zone. you've missed the first three games of the next set yeah they have that flood the zone mentality and it's true i think missing 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 action in the beginning is i think is a mistake let me give a little love to dick emberg here because i think he's I, I look he's he's got a wonderful voice he's soothing and really he's the guy who probably talks the least on, on the entire commentary teams as long as he's yeah. away from federer well, <laughs> he's okay <laughs> He does. He does fall over Federer a wee bit. A wee yeah, bit he much. does. But he, he's got a nice kind of a, a kind of a grandfatherly yeah, presence. A almost no he's offense to Dick, but uh, but that's pretty good. I like Patrick McEnroe's commentary. Fine. Some of the women's commentary. Look, it's it's tough to talk about some of these people because you know we work with them every day. We know them, etc. Right. But I think I think some of the women's commentary. I, I'm a little bit disappointed sometimes by how little basically interesting analysis there is. There's a lot of the 
kind of by rule, well, she's got to get a break here. I mean, you know, when doesn't a player have to get a break? That You know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think... Uh, well, you know who's the best uh, for women commentating? I think commentating right now as far as analyzing the matches. Steven and I have talked about this is Martina Navratilova. What? Are you kidding me? Well, this is know. not true. <laughs> this is not a very good comment. <laughs> Her voice maybe is, a, is, is, a, is an acquired taste, but the way she broke down the matches on the tennis acquired channel... Taste. That's good. You know, it, it, it really... She just broke down the strokes and the tactics in a way that, you know, she would look at somebody and say, you know what, their, 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 their trunk, their base is not moving forward, but they're swinging in a different direction and it's not working together. The way she looked at people's service tosses, like Ivanovich's, and, and just, I mean, I don't know why she's not coaching somebody because I was really impressed with how she she's, she's analyzed. She's good, uh, but I would say that, that if you criticize ESPN, you, you, what, what's the alternative? They, they do a good job. They may overdo it, but they do a good job of, of making a production that's, worth, that's worthy of a Grand Slam that gives you this feeling that this is a big event. Like right. If you go to the Tennis Channel, you get, you get Martina, who is an excellent analyst, but you don't get this. They don't, they don't do give the, you the sense. You don't get this sense that this, is, this means something. Here's a lot of people. We're doing a big production for this event. Yeah, no, i got to tell you, I, lo- I, love, I, I love Brad Gilbert. He, you know, the, I like people who just lay it all out there and kind of aren't afraid to. Bring to the heat, Susie. Brad Gilbert. Bring yeah, the exactly. heat. He's like a Dick Vitale. Bring the heat. You know, th- that's, that's a good heard. thing to have because you've got heat. pretty mellow guys. Cliffy and Patrick, who I think are an outstanding team, they're very, you know, they're very mellow, basically, both of them. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty laid-back guys and stuff. So you get a Brad Gilbert Brad's in there. Good. Brad's and enthusiasm helps. It's great. No, yeah, exactly. And he comes up with, with just some funny stuff. You know, I call Yahtzee, things like that. It, it just makes it more fun. And I think fun is a good part of it. No, he's the only one that keeps it really loose, I think. And I agree with Steve. I mean, look, they do a good job. They, they have a general audience to, to deal with. And they can't, they can't uh, tailor it to people that just want to hear the ball bounce and get hit back and forth as much as that is fun to do once in a while. Um, the next question, let's move on. She gets some of the Federer fans riled up. Uh, it's from a guy named, let's see here, um, Arcana, which sounds sort of Lord of the Rings-ish. Um, does the way Roger Federer dismantled Andy Murray in the Australian Open prove that Federer's dominance over the years has nothing to do with the so-called weak error and that he is just making it look that easy? I what, guess is that, what does that mean, do you think? Why Murray? Why, why a win over Murray? <laughs> why would Murray, that matter? The uh, representative of the Why would that era? matter? I, I think he's just trying to take it. I think it sounds like he's a Federer fan just trying to lash out, or not lash out, he's being very polite about it, but going against the anti-Federer fans, the two that are out there, I guess, but saying that, well... Is it a question of Federer has been this good over the last seven, eight years, or has he been this good because his competition, Nadal aside, well, weak, has been weaker? The weak era theory is, I mean, it, it's complicated. It's hard, it's hard to, to really make any decisions about which era was better. If Roger Federer doesn't win 16 grand slams in seven years, then there's going to be a lot of other players who look better historically. Then you're going to have Andy Roddick with four or five slams instead of one. So he... Suddenly, it looks like a stronger era, but but Federer, you know, Federer winning all these slams, it makes it makes the other guy's stats worse. So, so I would I would go with the with the idea that that this era is comparable. That that there's a lot of depth and a lot of talent. And Nadal is an all time, also an all time great. The same way that Sampras had Agassi. Um, that you know you might not have had Becker a Becker and Edberg level player, but I feel like that's almost because Roger's been so dominant, more dominant than Pete was. Well, that. I think I agree with that. I think I think Federer has been playing in an era probably more dominant than Pete. I, I Pete, I'll throw this over to you. I was looking at Sampras when he was playing, Lendl when he was playing, and comparing those eras. Sampras was competing against the likes of in the mid '90s: Rios, Karecha, Rafter, Moya, Agassi, Henman, Kuchera, Ruzetsky, and Krychek. That's a sampling top ten from '98. Lendl back in '87, 
He had he was number one. He was the dominant player. He's dealing with Edberg, Vlander, Connors, Becker, Cash, Machir, Noah, Mayotte, and John McEnroe. Um, I think you can make the and obviously I'm just picking one little thing. You can there's other players that all these guys have faced. Federer faced Agassi and had an eight and three record against Agassi. Although he got him at the end of his career. What do you think about how how Federer stacks up with those other two errors? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I come down into the, you know, it's not a weak era because he dominates the era kind of a thing, which is, which is an important, you know, uh, element in that. You know, obviously, as Steve said, a lot of guys would have grand slams if Federer wouldn't, wouldn't be around. But I think one of my readers, Ruth, longtime reader, uh, whose, whose judgment is spot on about a lot of things, uh, she, she basically, she's a big Sampras fan now, and she crunched some numbers, and she basically felt that looking at who Pete beat in his grand slams to win his grand slams, how many grand slams they'd won, uh, you know where they stood in the game long term. She likes his record. You know this wasn't in a context of you know just factored in Cedric Peeling did it. <laughs> well, Peeling was, was factored in there, but okay. you know, uh, you know, it, it's it's just a tough call to make. I think you know the you know the it's it's it gets you into this kind of wilderness of, There's of too many stats unknowns. and you know unknown factors and well you know look if you beat Pat Cash early in his career, you know before the guy you know wins Wimbledon. Uh, you know, is that a better win than if you beat him after he's won Wimbledon? I guess so. He's more confident after he's won Wimbledon. So th these are all very speculative things. I think the important thing, though, is the real measure of greatness, in, in my mind anyway, and I think a lot of people share this. Pete Sampras originally floated this idea to me, was that, you know, look, if you want to be counted among a great, did, were you able to dominate your era? That's really almost more interesting than how good your uh, question of how good your era yeah, was. Yeah, because that's all you can do. Right. Right. That's exactly. And Federer has done. I mean, I think Federer has done that more than anybody, oh. with the exception of Nadal, of course, which is where it gets interesting with Federer. And this will bring us to our last question of today's podcast. It's from Michael in Northern California. Thanks for uh, giving the attribution there. Um, hello, guys. Basically, what's left for Roger to do is his question, and specifically wants to know. It strikes me that one thing that Roger might really want to do is have another crack at Rafa in a Slam final. It's the only way to completely erase that fading asterisk next to his name. So does. I think there is some. I don't. I don't think that's true. And there's there's no asterisk to me. Yeah, that's the old straw man argument. This is well. Yo, let's assume. Let's let's all assume that we all agree that there's an asterisk next to his name. That's baloney. Yeah, I don't. I can't see an asterisk next to Federer's name for for any reason. But I think among some people, there's a sense Federer Federer's greatest match of all time. He lost. He lost to Nadal. This is the guy who's probably going to go down as the greatest player of all time. But he lost his most famous match. So. Maybe that maybe that's a motive. I mean, obviously, beating Nadal in Slam Finals is a motivation for him because because Rafa got hurt last year and and Roger didn't face him in any of the Slams after he'd lost him in Australia. That's nothing. That doesn't take anything away from from Roger. But I'm sure he would love to to get another crack at Nadal in, in any Slam. Well, hey, look what 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 this Australian Open partly showed me, given what the struggles Rafa's been going through, is that look. There's no question in my mind now that Rafa was not only inside Federer's head. He was he was like. He had drilled through and tapped to the heart of the gray matter. I mean, there's no question that you look at the way Federer's playing now. You know, when when Nadal came on strong and he beat him at Wimbledon, crushed took the number the one French. ranking, crushed him at the French a couple of times, Yeah, of he's course. so much looser without Rafa. Right? Exactly. You were thinking, well, gee, maybe Federer's, you know, era of greatness is done. Maybe the guy doesn't have it anymore. You didn't think of it just so much in terms of, well, he can't beat Nadal. You're thinking, well, maybe he's going into decline now after, after so much success. But man, it's like the minute Rafa got out of it, Roger became like a new man. He's no, Superman. There. He's Superman. Exactly, again. Superman again now. So you know that to me, it the one thing it certainly proved to me was that you know Rafa was definitely well inside his head. And oh, I mean, the guy he's beaten him thirteen times. Nobody's yeah. even close to that. No, I mean, fa even if they meet a bunch more times, I don't think he'll ever even 
bring that that rivalry. It's what seven and thirteen. I don't think he's even gonna get that to five hundred before before either of them retire. But who knows? It's doubtful. I, 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 it's clearly not. But an now he could though. now he could find himself uh, playing Rafa in the in a quarterfinal. The Dolls ranking is down, and it might go down further. They could potentially play in the quarterfinal of the French Open or Wimbledon. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, now the question is really, what does it mean, though? I mean, what do you guys think? Does it mean? Does it mean that? Well, gee, we have to rethink Federer's status just because Nadal ends up, say, with a career head-to-head advantage over him and a significant one? I don't think that's true because I, I think these guys play tournaments to win tournaments, play to win Grand Slams, not to beat certain players. If if you look at, if you ask Federer what. What, why he enters a tournament, why he plays tennis, he plays to win Grand Slams, not to beat any particular player. That's that's you know, that's on the way to the goal of winning a Grand Slam. Yeah, no, I think Nadal is the greatest player of all time, not Federer. Personally. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. Please, I'm just kidding. Don't write in any emails about yeah, so that. There we go with Brad Gilbert. He, he a couple of years uh, after the 2008 Wimbledon, Gilbert had Nadal breaking Sampras's uh, Grand Slam record and Federer not breaking. Well, that is that is the, one of the funniest things about all this. I was playing tennis last night, and, and my buddy said the same thing. He said, you know, it's, it's crazy. A year ago, we were wondering, would, would Federer even be able to win another Slam? What's happening with him? And, and can Nadal, you know, equal, you know, catch up to Federer with Slams? And now we're looking at it like, well, where's, where's Federer going to yeah. stop? 20, yeah, 21, 22? I think Steve kind of answered that letter, that letter's question too, really, when he said these guys enter tournaments to win tournaments, and you know, you know, it, it may seem it's, it's a very easy narrative to fall into and and say, wow, you know, gee, you know, he must be really spoiling to get even with so and so, or this guy really wants to get the guy who beat him at the last slam in, in a quarterfinal. Those guys don't really think about that; they really don't. Those guys think those guys would take the easiest match they can get if you gave Federer. Six Vince Spadius to play on his way to a Grand Slam title, or six, or you know Rafael Nadal and five other top ten players. Yeah, you know gonna he's going to pick six Spadius. He's not going to feel bad about that. No, he's not. Gonna, and he's not going to feel like they. it diminishes yeah. his achievement. Also, Federer gets gets hurt a little bit in that because he made the finals of the French Open and lost to Rafa, which hurt his head to head. But Rafa didn't make the finals of any U.S. Opens where he could have played Roger and. Presumably, Roger would have won some of those matches. Well, yeah, Rafa never made those appointments that Federer had set up with on surfaces other than clay, and I think that's a very, very important thing to consider when you look at that head-to-head. Yeah, and, and this just goes back to the previous question, which was the weak error, comp- you know, comparing errors. You really can't. I mean, the only thing we can go by at the end of the day is how many Grand Slams have certain players won. That's our major barometer, then factoring some other things. You can't base it off of the, the quality of the competition. Also, you can't I, base it off of what if. Somebody didn't play, somebody did play. And I would say, in general, the quality of play right now is as strong as it's ever been, just across the board, as far as as far as the game itself and the the level they, these guys play at. Well, yeah. but don't forget, you also can't even just compare these guys now because of the difference in the surfaces. You know, I mean, the way everything has become slow. I mean, guys who guys who are more conditioned to play a slow game, a baseline game, an all court game. You know, a game where you know good defense and ability to to bring a little offense when you have to. Those are at a real premium today. Yeah, and they, they weren't always. You know, look at no, Chilich, look at, yeah. uh, Murray and Chilich are both examples of that. Exactly, and you know that that that's the terms of the game have changed. So how can you how can you compare guys who are playing in an era where there are three Grand Slams on grass and it, where if, if you had a heck of a serve and a good volley, you could really dominate people? You can't compare that. To even Sampras's era, you look at I was look at the top ten. You had Krejcik and, and Ruzetsky, Even Izovich was in there for a while. These were guys that were not exactly stalwarts of the defensive style of play. They just came with big serves and had some volleys. I'm not taking anything away from them. They played. Uh, and grew up and adapted to the style and the surface that was was there, but you you couldn't survive like that now. No, you just couldn't, and, and they they wouldn't thrive. And uh, you know, whereas you go back farther, like you said, to the three grass and and one clay, again, you're just going to get the aggressive player. But I do think that the tennis now is is more more exciting than just seeing serve and volley all the time. But that's another 
debate for another time. And that uh, about wraps up our podcast for this week. I want to thank everyone. We didn't get a chance to read a ton of emails that we got. We will uh, keep uh, knocking them off uh, next week when we come back. And please keep sending them in. Let us know what you thought about the Fed Cup. We will, uh, at least I'll try to watch some of it. Uh, come on, come on. You, you guys got <laughs> to come to my rescue. To watch some Fed Cup and write how I, I'm going to grill. I'm going to grill Pete next week to make sure he saw all the Fed Cup. But um, uh, until then, uh, Steve Tigner, Pete Bodo, I'm James Martin. Keep the emails coming to podcast at tennis.com, and we'll uh, see you next week. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.